Well, good morning. Hey, we're talking about relationships and specifically we're talking about marriage. And what we're saying is that we are better together. And if you missed last week, if you were gone for a week or somebody invited you and this is your first time here, let me just catch you up real quick. What we said last week is that marriage is a covenant relationship. It is meant to be a covenant relationship like this relationship with God, that there's a covenant, there's an unconditional aspect of love involved in this relationship. And when it's good, it's more intimate and more close than anything you can experience. And it actually can look like the love that God has for us. Well, today, let's talk about when it's bad. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? And when it's bad, it's bad. This morning, what we want to do is challenge how you view, and God wants to challenge how you respond in those difficult times in your relationships and in your marriage. Now, I looked up in the Urban Dictionary, I looked up the word spouse, and some of those I can't repeat. Uh, but the sum that I can, let's see if you, uh, if you kind of dig these here. Uh, sweetheart, of course, uh, honeysuckle, uh, the old ball and chain, uh, my bay. I've never said that in my life. My bay. Okay. My better half. My main squeeze. Now that's the cheesiest one, isn't it? My main. I picture some big old guy with his. And this here's my main squeeze. I, I don't know. I can't get that picture out of my head. But uh, it's really cheesy, but it's actually very accurate, but in a completely different way. Because your marriage relationships will be the thing that God uses to squeeze you the most spiritually. Squeeze you the most spiritually. God will use this dynamic between a husband and a wife to press into you and to make you better, but not in the way you would want to be made better. In the pressure points of your life. I mean, David and I were watching a, a, a commercial the other day, and it looked a lot like this video. They're running on the beach with the sunset behind them, and they're, they're laying on the bed snuggling. I'm like, man, it's easy to love somebody like that. But it's a whole different story when it's one of those mornings. Am I right? Trying to get the kids up, get them to school. They can't find their shoes. The dog throws up. you got to make lunch. Oh, I'm just getting started. They tell you, they tell you they need to check that morning. The car won't start one of those mornings. And you feel like a tube of toothpaste that's getting squeezed. And God uses those moments in a family and a marriage to reveal to us what's really inside of us. And here's what I believe. God wants us to be better together. And that doesn't, doesn't just mean that everything's going to be happy and fun and roses. He wants you and I to become better together in the hard moments of marriage. Uh, 21 years of marriage, I can tell you, Gabriel and I have had plenty of squeezing moments. Um, it, you're never going to get rid of those. But I can tell you the most pressing point in our relationship was nine years ago. We had started this church 10 years ago and uh, we had three little kids and this felt like we had a, another very needy child uh, trying to start a church from scratch. A lot of pressure, new place. We had moved to the area, a lot of new stuff. And I was really busy on trying to grow this church. And I was dragging her and the kids all over the community, meeting people, trying to grow. The, and God blessed our church phenomenally in that first, first year. And when she came to me and says, you know, she started to get quieter and quieter and our relationships got worse and worse. 
I did something I thought I'd never do. I went, we went to a counselor. I mean, I was that guy. I was, I'll never need to go to counseling. That was me. We ended up in the counselor's office. And about the second or third session in, she, he, he asked her a question that I had asked her a few months ago before then, and she wouldn't answer me. She couldn't respond. Well, this time when, when she, he asked the question, she answered him. I said, whoa, 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 time out. I said, how come you could tell him what you were feeling in this moment, but you couldn't tell me? And guys, I'll never forget the words that came out of her mouth. It changed me and changed our marriage. She said, because he feels safe. And I don't remember what else was said in that counseling session. It was like I was in a fog, but we got out in the parking lot and I swung my wife around. And I said, honey, if I'm going to be anything to you, and if I'm going to be anything in this life, I'm going to be safe for you. And we made a conscious decision not to, to make ministry the most important thing, but make us more important than the ministry. Changed our relationship, changed our marriage, probably saved our marriage. So let's jump into the scriptures together. And as you turn, you can turn to Matthew chapter 19 if you'd like. I'm going to set the scene. And this is really crazy. The Pharisees tried to come and test Jesus. And they used a question about marriage to test him. Now, not a smart strategy. They had no idea who they were dealing with. But they came and tried to trick Jesus. They said, should we be allowed to be divorced? And Jesus said, no. God made it clear, and he referenced the verse that, that we used uh, last week where it said God took the two and the two became one flesh. So no, you should not get divorced. And then they thought they had him because they had a follow-up question already planned. They said, well, why did Moses in the book of Deuteronomy allow a certificate of divorce to be given when people were given getting divorced? Why did that happen? It sounds like God's okay with it. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. You guys were divorcing your wives anyway. And you were giving them nothing and leaving them with nothing. And they had no way to provide for themselves or take care of themselves. And so God allowed Moses to institute this certificate of divorce to protect the women and give them a livelihood and rights in in the system and in the nation of Israel. God's And Jesus said, I'm telling you it's wrong and you shouldn't do it. And the only reason you should divorce is for sexual immorality. Now, here's where we pick up the story in verse 10. The disciples said to him, I love this, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Isn't that hilarious to you? They're like, wait a minute. If you're saying that we have to be together and stick through thick and thin and put up with each other's junk and go through the hard stuff, then it'd be better if we didn't even get married. If those are the ground rules, which is exactly the point this morning. Marriage is hard. It's difficult. And we think of that as a negative. Every single one of us do. But what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning is is that actually it could be a huge benefit to your life and to mine. Because if we let it, listen to this, being together changes us for the better. Being together can change us for the better. That squeeze that we feel on those crazy mornings or or the, the hurt that we feel in trying to deal with the hurt in a relationship or the tensions, those can actually be good things because God can use them to go to work on us. And marriage, like that tube of toothpaste, God can squeeze all the junk out of your life and out of my life as the squeeze of a marriage relationship brings it to light. 
Now, if you've been around church for a while, you probably know this verse, Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or one person can sharpen another. And we quote that all the time when we're in accountability situations or we've got a, a partner or a mentor or somebody that we're, we're asking or inviting into our lives to show us and, and to teach us and to, and to uh, uh, help us develop. But there is no greater relationship where iron sharpens iron than in a marriage relationship. Can I get an amen there? There is no other relationship in your life that's going to cause more friction and more sparks than a marriage where differences, where differences of opinions, where difference of habits, difference of traditions, different way of thinking, you name it, differences rub on each other and causes sparks. And you say, mine aren't sparks, mine are flames. All right, there's some flames shooting off these, this friction. And I get it. Some people call it intense fellowship. You ever heard that one? That doesn't do it justice, y'all. I don't use that. That's, that's like, no, that doesn't even come close. Now listen to me closely. What we're saying here this morning is those pressure points, those frictions, those differences, those problems, those miscommunications, all those things God can and will use for good if you let Him in your marriage. But these are the same problems and frictions and tensions and issues that have wrecked and destroyed countless marriages. And if you're not careful to deal with them properly, it can wreak havoc in your relationship too. And so every married person in this room has a choice. I want you to listen to it clearly. You could either resist conflict in frustration or you can brace it as God's sanctification. Let me say that again. You can resist conflict in your marriage in frustration or you can brace it as God's sanctification. You can see it as your spouse working against you or you can see it as God working on you. Those are your two choices. Your spouse working against you or God working on you. And and the whole difference is how we approach the problem, right? So I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you got your Bible. And let's look what it looks like in order to have the right perspective when we're dealing with the issues and problems. What's the proper motivation? What's the proper attitude? What's the proper perspective? And how do I treat my wife when there's a problem in our marriage, when, I, when my husband is doing me wrong? What is the right motivation and attitude I should have? Listen to this. Starting in verse 14. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... They are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. See, because what God has done for us, because that He's died on our behalf, it changes everything about our lives. 
It changes everything. Because Christ was willing to die on your behalf and my behalf, it changes how God views you. It also changes how you should view others and especially how you should view your spouse. Let's talk about this idea of reconciliation or being reconciled to someone. Because what it means is that you were once at odds or enemies with someone. You ever felt like that in a marriage? You sleep on your side, I'll sleep on my side. You stay in that room, I'll stay in this room. You hang on to your stuff, I hang on to my stuff. That you were once at odds and enemies with someone and then you were brought near and reconciled and made friends. That's what reconciliation means. And he says reconciliation happens when you embrace just how beautiful the reconciliation that God has for us is. That you and I, we were born into a world that is broken and fallen and we were born into that world broken and fallen ourselves. That you and I in our nature are sinful and wicked and rebellious and selfish. And we're here. And yet God remains holy and perfect and without flaw and unable to sin because he is perfect and perfection in his morality. And because of that, he can only not sin. He cannot be near sin. And so there is a gap. There is a distance. And so us and our sin are over here and God and his righteousness are over here. And yet what God has done is Jesus Christ came down and took all of our sin and bore it on our behalf. And then he took all the holiness and righteousness of God and he put it in on you. And so now God sees you as holy and blameless and perfect in his eyes because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, God has now reconciled us who were once enemies with God into a relationship with God, not even a friendship with God. We are in the family of God. That is the beautiful thing called reconciliation. And if you've never experienced reconciliation with God, it starts with admitting that is me over here, that I am broken and there is a holy God and I need to be reconciled to him. And when you do so, it lays the groundwork for reconciliation with everybody else. You know, it's said in that passage, when you do so, When you become reconciled with God, it says you're a new creation. I love using the analogy of a butterfly. That we were once caterpillars and just slimy and gross and crawling around on leaves. That doesn't sound so good. But that God makes a metamorphosis happen and our nature is somehow changed. That when Christ comes in, we're given a new nature. And when we come out of that experience, we're different, we're changed. We don't look like a caterpillar, we're a beautiful what? Butterfly. And we were teaching that in our baptism class. And Delaney Meyer, who's eight, she said, what about a tadpole to a frog? I said, yeah, that works. Not as pretty, but yeah, it works. I like it. See, what you've got to understand is when Christ comes in, you might think, why am I always so convicted of my sin? Why am I always feeling so guilty all the time? Because when Christ comes into your life, he gives you a new nature and he changes the desires of your heart and that you don't want to do the bad things and the evil things and the selfish things you want to do. You want to do the things that please God. And he gives you a new nature and a new identity where you are not the same person. You are not a sinner You have been created new and have become a saint. That's how God sees you. He gave you a new identity in Christ. 
And because God did all that for you and me, because we have been reconciled with him, did you catch that the second half of that passage we read says, and now I am giving you the ministry of reconciliation. That we have been reconciled to God. We're not supposed to keep that to ourselves. Now we're supposed to be agents of reconciliation that go to others and express reconciliation to them. That if they're enemies to us, that we close the gap and we come to them and we make the step to bring harmony and friendship and peace back into that relationship. That's what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. Every time I read the newspaper or see the news feed on my Twitter account, or watch it on TV. This idea of reconciliation pops in my head. Every problem in our world can be solved through reconciliation. And I can prove it to you. When we went to Israel in March, my wife and I got to go with a group, and our tour guide was born in Israel. He's an Israeli. He's a Jewish guy. He's now a completed Jew that has accepted Christ as his Savior and Lord. But he grew up as a Jew, served in the Jewish army, and he hated the Palestinians. His name's Yaron. And he is a lot like all the other people that we met in Israel. We met a school teacher that had brought her kids into En, en- Gedi, who's where David hit from Saul in the Old Testament. There's caves in this mountainous region. And she was taking her trip on a group on a field trip. And this nice little school teacher, we started talking to her and said, what do you think about what's going on in the world? And she said, I hate them. Speaking of the Palestinians, I hate them. I hate them. We said, well, why do you hate them? They said, she said, because they hate me and want to kill me. Therefore, I hate them. Well, that's how Euron felt. That's what he knew. That's what he had grown up in. And on the other side of that, we know a man named Tass. And he grew up in, uh, he actually served in uh, Af- um, Arafat's army. And yet both of these men encountered the living God, had reconciliation with God, and both of them now are believers and followers in Jesus Christ. And now they are now brothers in Christ, and they go around speaking to church groups and other people, speaking of the reconciliation that can be found in Christ. And they said, I would have 20 years ago wanted to kill this man. Now I love him as a brother. That's reconciliation. Give God praise for that. Yeah. That same stuff that can change those men's hearts is the same stuff that can keep us together in our marriages. He gave us that ministry. He gave us that responsibility. It says he gave us that message of reconciliation. And I believe that responsibility to reconcile begins in the home with your spouse. Let me hear. Let me say this clearly. Regardless of how different you are, regardless of the hurt that you felt, from your spouse, God's plan for your marriage is reconciliation. I believe that. You say, I just don't, I just don't think we're compatible anymore. Listen to this. I'm pretty sure Euron and Tass didn't think they were compatible either. Yet, being incompatible becomes incredible when God is integral. And I know that's a lot of eyes, but I had to get that in there. I believe that being incompatible becomes incredible when God is the focal point, when He's integral in the relationship. And if the fact that God has reconciled you to Himself means anything to you, it will motivate you to reconcile with your fellow man. It will motivate you to reconcile with your fellow man. 
Can I just say this? If you have not experienced that kind of reconciliation with God and you still wonder, is he for you? Is he with you? Does he love you? Is it possible that he could forgive you? Can I tell you that God has made reconciliation and forgiveness and his love available through his son, Jesus Christ? And if you're wondering about that or if you've never experienced reconciliation, can I tell you God's desire for you today is that he would reconcile himself to you. And he might be pressing in on your heart right now and saying, please come to me. Just admit your fault. Recognize Jesus Christ as my way of reconciliation with you. And if you have, if you have experienced his reconciliation, there is a mandate in the Bible. There's a mandate in the scriptures that we would be reconciled one to another. And you and I can extend grace because we've experienced his grace. And we can forgive because Colossians 3.13 says, Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That we can forgive because we have been forgiven. And we can love because Jesus said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And if, and if the pressures and the problems and the tensions of marriage has become a burden, then hang on to Galatians 3.2 that says, bear one another's burdens because Jesus Christ himself bore the weight and the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of your sin and my sin and he carried those burdens to a cross that they might be forever put away and done with and forgotten and removed and you are clean before a holy God. And so you can carry one another's burdens. He said, oh, we're just very different people. We've grown apart. Most of the couples I know are exact opposites of each other. And some people make that work beautifully. And some people always are butting heads over their differences. And the big difference there is you can either fight the differences or you can embrace the differences. You can be frustrated or you can see it as sanctification. You know what makes the difference? It's just what you focus on. In the moment, what are you thinking about? Are you trying to win or are you trying to let God win? Are you focused on their warts or are you focused on his wonders? Are you focused on their strengths or on their weaknesses or on God's strengths? See, when God is integral, he can take incompatible and make it incredible. So just to get real practical, guys, when you're in those moments in the morning, that morning I described, and the dog threw up, and all, the first thing you do is you stop, and you don't react, and you don't say the first thing that comes out of your mouth. This is a true story. I heard it said there was a church, a large church that had two services, and they were doing, I think it was Father's Day, and they said, uh, we're going to give a prize to the, to the dad, the, the man who's been married to um, their wife the longest. And this old guy stood up, and I can't remember how many years it was. And the pastor said, hey, man, what's your secret? What's kept you guys married for so long? And he said, I learned how to keep my mouth shut. And then you go to the second service, and the same thing happens. And the man stands up, and it wasn't rehearsed. And he said, what's your secret, man? Guess what he said? I learned how to keep my mouth shut. So when there's tension and friction, you stop and you, and you shut your mouth and you listen. And you listen for that still small voice where God is trying to intervene and try to be integral in your relationships and integral in your thought process. And he's, and he's calling out and he's saying, listen, 
I have reconciled myself to you. And since I've done so much for you, you be an agent of reconciliation in your family. And you love them not because they're worthy of love. You love them because I have loved them and I have loved you well. And you can love them too. And this is what you pray. God, I believe we're better together. What is it in me that you want to change? God, was it, what is it in, in this moment that is my fault? God, what is it in this instance that you want to, you want to dig down into my character and dig down into my heart and dig down into hidden things of my soul that I don't even know are true about me? What is it in this moment that you want to make me better through the friction that I'm experiencing in my marriage? And then you say, God, help me appreciate them, not complain about them, keep my eyes on you. And in an instant, you go from incompatible to incredible. In an instant. I can tell you this. The marriage that continually focuses on the disappointments and the frustrations will eventually self-destruct. But the marriage that is focused on Christ will last. And instead of fixing your spouse, you're focused on Christ. And you remember about what He has done for you. Now guys, I've asked the, the sound team if they would if they just bring the lights down here. Um, this one's going to stay on. But I want to make an intimate moment here. And I want us to think about something. When we got married, most of us gave our spouse a, a uh, wedding ring. And most of the time it has a diamond in it. And if you're sitting here with your spouse this morning, just don't make a big show about it. You can just slip over there and grab their hand. And, and look at that little diamond or big diamond or fake diamond together. <laughs> I won't tell. And here's what I want you to think about as you're looking at that, that, that rock together. That, that beautiful, amazing symbol of your love and your commitment to each other was forged out of pressure. It was once a lump of coal, ugly and of no value. And yet what made it so beautiful and what made it so valuable is that It was under pressure over time. And what came out under the pressure in the time is something amazing. Can I tell you, it's, it's not, uh, it's not chance that that's our symbol of love. God is trying to say something to us. That is what He wants to do in your marriage and in your marriage and your marriage and in my marriage. That we would withstand the pressures of life and marriage together and something that beautiful would come out. When we were um, when we were an engaged couple, my parents paid for Gabriel and I to go to a wedding retreat, or marriage retreat. I guess they thought we needed it. <laughs> and everyone in there was like how old I am now, like really middle-aged. And, um, and they're all like working on their marriage because they need to work on their marriage. And we're newlyweds. We're not even, I mean, we're engaged. We're not even married yet. And they had us do this exercise that I thought was so stupid. So if you still got your hands together, keep them there. And he made us pair up with our spouse, turn our chairs and face each other, and repeat a phrase to one another. And they said, we want you to say to your spouse, my spouse is not my enemy. And we were like... <laughs> Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because <laughs> I, I love you. And you're so pretty. 
I don't know what she was thinking, but that's what I was thinking. And we joked about it like that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Guys, can I tell you, 21 years of marriage, I have... The lie of the enemy is that right there, that your spouse is out to get you, they're out to harm you, they want have ill intent towards you, and that is off, most times a lie. And in 21 years, I've had to repeat to myself over and over, and I'm sure she's had to do it way more, my spouse is not my enemy. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to do a time of prayer and then a song. And while the song's playing, if you just want to, if you just want to hold hands and, and talk, do that. If you want to just look them in the eye and say, I want you to know I don't, you're not my enemy. If you want to confess some sin or, or say I'm sorry for something, or if you want to offer forgiveness from someone that you've been holding out on and not being willing to, to reconcile with them or not being willing to forgive them, here's what I promise God wants to do. He wants to turn our mess of marriage into a miracle. And the gospel, the good news, the reconciliation is what will cause us to fight for our marriage, not against our spouse. And this morning... If you don't know what it means, if you've never experienced reconciliation with God, this is where it begins. You cannot reconcile with man. You can't reconcile even with your spouse if you don't have the foundation of a reconciliation with God. And that's what he's offering to you this morning if you've never experienced it. So I'm going to pray and then the music will begin. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, when we think about the great lengths that you went to, to pursue us, to love us, to forgive us through your son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice you were willing to make on our behalf. God, we feel so very unworthy. And the truth is we are. Yet the gospel says, the good news says, you love us anyway, and you're willing to forgive us anyway, and you offer new life in Christ anyway. And God, that offer is what you're offering each person in this room. God, if they've never experienced a reconciliation with you, and to know that their sins are forgiven, to know they have a home in heaven, to know there's a heavenly father who loves them, to know they're a part of the family. God, today is the day you are offering to them reconciliation. And what you're saying is come home. Come home to me today. Because I have always loved you. And I don't, I want you to experience that love. If that's the desire of your heart this morning, if you would simply tell God that, say, God, I'm that broken person that needs forgiveness. And I believe Jesus' death. His resurrection is the payment for my sin and my opportunity for a relationship with you. And the best that I know how, God, today I say yes to your offer of forgiveness. And I take Jesus as my leader and I look to him for my forgiveness. Now with heads down and eyes closed, if that was your prayer this morning, you've, you've experienced reconciliation with God, 
Would you just slip your hand up and keep it up for me? I see you. Keep it up. Anyone else? I thank you, Jesus. Okay, you can put your hand down. Thank you. Lord, we thank you. All around this room, there's families and there's marriages that face daily pressures. And God, I pray for these families and I pray for these moms and dads and I pray for these husbands and wives that you would be the focal point and the center point of their, of their lives and the focal point of their marriage. And God, when the squeeze comes, they would not see it as their, their spouse working against them, but you working on them. God, change, radically change how we view the hard parts of life. God, I pray that people would offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness in this moment with their spouse. God, would you create a fresh and new start in the families of this church? That they'd have one of those moments that it's never going to be the same again. Because by your grace and in your power and with your strength, they're going to love each other like you've loved them. God, that's my prayer this morning. Teach us how to love well because we've been loved well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.